Well, good morning, church. You look beautiful as always. And I'm so excited that uh, I get to open up the series uh, title and sermon um, is The Heart of the Pastor. And my message this morning is about flesh to faith. So uh, a preacher must never share their own personal opinion for the world around them um, from the pulpit. We do, however, share in our grief and our heartache. However, we are never helpless. We are always hopeful. We are not offered the luxury of being trailblazers, only heralds, and we bring the good news. We must only filter out what the Lord has laid on our heart. Otherwise, what you would be receiving from me this morning will be from a self-promoting man rather than a Christ exalter. Pastor Josh often says that we are hope dealers. And I'd like to coin the phrase from uh, Dr. Jeff Stark. He is a Bridgeway or was the lead pastor of Bridgeway Community Church. And this word is optimist. And it's a weird combo word of hope and optimism put together. And it means this by his definition. One who believes that though the world is not what it should be, God is busy at work making it as it ought to be. One who believes of hope and of change and that God will never give up on us because of his grace, habitual grace. It's a supernatural intervention from God that enables us to walk with God and appear that we live a life that does that. As we flesh out by the means of faith, we get to experience the fullness of his promise. So I have a question for you. If you could frame a life verse in your home, engrave it on your tombstone, perhaps, dare I say, tattoo it on your heart of God's great love for you, his faithfulness, what would it be? What matters to your heart? The heart of the matters is that it does matter. What matters to me and to my life are these words in Galatians 2.20. And it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of man who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Do you hear the passion and the conviction of that passage? I've been crucified with Christ. I died with Christ and I no longer live. And that's a paradox, but Christ lives within me. And the life I now live, the new life I live in the flesh, I get to live out by faith because of Jesus Christ, the son of God whose very nature is love. And he loved me so much that he gave himself for me. Now for someone to make that bold, bold statement, there means there's gotta be a backstory, right? The writer of this letter, the epistle, his name's Paul. And many believers know Paul as being one of the most influential man in biblical times next to Jesus. He practically wrote the New Testament, most of it. Yet prior to becoming this missional champion of our faith, Paul was someone else in his former life. He was not even named Paul, his name was Saul. And this guy was a prime privileged example of a righteous Jewish boy. He had it going on and he knew it. He was a Pharisee like his father and Pharisees were religious leaders that believed in religious laws and traditions. They believed in, in rituals and observances and that made, that made them holy on the outward instead of what was inside the inner man. And Saul's mission at one point was to persecute Christians. He killed them because he believed that they were not worshiping and pleasing the Lord as he thought that they should. And the punishment in many cases was death. 
So this guy was not a humble guide. He was very proud. But nevertheless, God's grace is unrelenting. And Saul had to die. How we choose to die says a lot about who we are. Now, let me clarify that statement. I'm not talking about taking someone's life in the physical, in this physical state. My sentiment is this, dying to the flesh so that our spiritual life will reside with Christ in the next is our main objective this morning and for the rest of our life. We cannot take our fleshly bodies with us when we leave our temporary home. Our spiritual life, our soul life, makes the journey to our final residence. So what we do, what we say, how we think, and how we act here very much matters in the next. Our weak flesh is a powerful enemy, and if we're not aware of how often our minds can trick us into believing that we have everything under our control, that we think we know it all, or perhaps that our ill-equipped actions do not result in heavy consequences, then and only then will we quickly lose the sense of truly being dependent on God and living out our faith in Jesus Christ and being led by the Holy Spirit. Because we are cunning and crafty creatures. At least we can be. We can be malicious. We can seek to pay someone back for the hurt that they caused. Bitter and spiteful, revengeful, self-seeking. We can become our own little gods. Or we can choose to surrender our life to Christ and seek him. Exchange the old life for the new life. A whole life. A resilient life. A trusting life. You see, that glorious exchange that occurs in all who believe on Jesus Christ says a lot about the death to themselves. A life lived with Jesus is a new life raised with oneness with the Lord. So are we choosing to live out the natural today or the spiritual body becoming a new body? Are you ready to die to yourself today and to surrender all to Jesus Christ? That's a heavy question to answer, right? You might need some time to think it over. And I have a question. Have you ever witnessed a proposal? Yeah, like maybe on TV? It gets me every time. The fiance-to-be never seems to hesitate. So there's this guy, he's got a speech prepared and he stutters all over his words and he gets on his knee and she spontaneously just answers yes before he can get the words out. And there's like tears and there's screaming. And maybe I'm not romantic, perhaps a little bit analytical, but logic and reason completely fly out the window. Months and years of this lovey-dovey talking of I love you. No, I love you more. I gotta go. You hang up. No, you hang up. Sickening. <laughs> I mean, the thought never crosses their minds, dare I say weakness in this moment, of endless weird possibilities five years from now, right? Like she's not thinking, oh, I just, gee, I love it when he clips his toenails on the couch and makes a little pile. <laughs> or how about he puts his ginormous work boots by the front door and I trip over them. He knows I like to be active. Oh man, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with this guy. You see, in that pure, genuine, transparent devotion to the heart, she is met with someone down on a knee, being asked to give up her old life, her name, 
possibly her housing, her attachment to things, activities that she did prior to this relationship, maybe even people to spend the rest of their lives together living for one another. And some might say that this couple is taking a risk, stepping out in pure confidence that this is a new beginning, a new life of bliss and happiness and nothing will tear them apart. And so what we have here, what we see here is this parallel life of Paul. You see his former life, he lived in such a way that he did whatever he wanted to do. He made decisions based on his own accord. He made decisions based on his own agenda, motives, and his attitude. He lived in a a way that was self-seeking. He was blind to the fact that he was living out truly sinfully um, and did not please the Lord, but he didn't know it. He had no knowledge of the grace of God yet. So Saul has this encounter with Christ that shook the core of his fundamental foundation. So much so that he changed his name. On a road to a place called Damascus, Saul surrenders his life to Jesus. He gives up his old life and he dies to himself that day. And the new life of Paul is born. And Christianity as we know it quite possibly changed that day. So we fast forward to Galatians, a little bit of a backstory of this chapter in this book. Paul, like I said, is the writer and he's writing to the Galatian people, namely because it's a community of believers known in a town, uh, Galatia. And he shares with them current travels and previous travels that now he's in full-time ministry and he's preaching and teaching the gospel to non-Jewish people called the Gentiles. And he's teaching them how to behave and how to act more like Christ. Now remember, Paul is a Jew. He's a Roman citizen. He has rights that others do not. And so he's been living a life strictly um, in accordance with being called worthy or righteous, but by man, not by God. And so there's a problem. There was a law that Paul was about to break in his traditional religious sect. So the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, it's called the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's also called the Pentateuch. And it's about teachings, beliefs, customs, and rituals. It's their core value for the Jewish faith. It's more taught rather than caught. But here comes Christ on the scene and he flips the script. In the famous words of Pastor Cheryl, he blows it all up. And Paul says and does the unthinkable. He says to the Jewish people and to Christians, he tells them this, you don't have to be circumcised to believe and follow Christ. Ouch. You're probably thinking, Pastor Callie, why are we going there? Well, I'll tell you, it was the greatest debate of their time. As a Jewish boy, you were circumcised as a baby. It was a sign of initiation into the Jewish faith. And if you weren't of the Jewish faith, you had to wait until you were older to be circumcised. Now, they didn't really care about the women. That's another sermon. So why is this important? So the first century Jews, they believed that this law was primal and central to their identity as God's chosen people. And Christianity is radically different. While many early church, uh, while many early uh, churchgoers and Christians believed in some of these laws, there wasn't a prescription to follow Jesus. You just believed in him, and you just followed him. So the Jewish uh, believers and other believers they struggled to understand fully 
who this Jesus guy was. So, you know, he, he's telling them that he is here to, to basically turn the kingdom upside down. And so Paul says that he's not here just to render the law obsolete, but he's here to deliver the news. It was a revelation, a spiritual download from God. So can you imagine what Paul's thinking and how he's feeling and maybe even communicating? He was this guy that believed in the law. He was all in and now he's not living it out. It'd be like you driving 45 here the whole way and someone passes and you're like, So when we read this passage, we can sit in the position of the Galatian people and we can see and we can hear Paul's passion and conviction. He says to them essentially and to us today, look, I died to myself. I no longer live, but I live for Christ. I count everything garbage. It's all rubbish. It means nothing to me now. And the law that I, that I once upheld, I died or that died with me that day. And today I live for and with Jesus in the faith. And here's the good news. You can too. So Paul appeals to us to make the decision that we must decrease so that Jesus would increase. Christ exalting rather than self-promoting. Carrie Newhoff recently stated in an article that we, and this culture that we live in, need an alternative to ourselves, not an echo to itself. And I can sense that there could be some resistance because, you know, we love ourselves. And I was resistant, a little hesitant, maybe ashamed a little bit. There's many things that I had to personally give up in my life, some things that needed to die in my life. And there was a time where motives and attitudes and actions and behaviors, they controlled me. And I justified those decisions, well, because I made them. I was in control. Maybe they made me and controlled me. I was critical, judgmental, self-righteous, indifferent, indignant, and boy, did I have a temper and sometimes still do. Whatever and whoever wasn't up to par, hadn't performed perfectly or right in my book was a failure. I was hard to please and often I was my own worst enemy because I too believed that I could do better, be better, perform better. And that enslavement to the devil, that stinking thinking led me down dark paths and dark places. But I'm sure I'm not the only one, right? The Lord said to me, not in a audible way, but deep down in my heart, you're gonna have to give up some things and you're not gonna like it. You see, sweet daughter, every passing thing, even actions and thoughts on this earth that you've either received or have gotten, the devil can give it to you too. But I will stay, because that's the difference. I'm committed to you. Everything else that you've put your hope and your trust and your confidence in, eventually it will leave because it's never measured by the fullness or the presence of me in your life. And that made me really mad because I knew that I no longer had control anymore. I was full of hot air and boy, was I. I knew once I made that decision, I knew that it was gonna cost something. It was gonna cost me, me. I had to surrender myself. And believe me when I say that wrestling with yourself is very hard, right? You have to let go of the control, the pride, the hot air. It's not easy. 
You know, the Lord does not necessarily care about your sacrifice. He cares about your obedience. Do pay attention to what's behind the black curtain. (laughs) Get this out. So I had to wrestle with some hot air. I had to wrestle with uh, powerful demands of the weak flesh, cravings, compulsions, smoking, drinking, drug use, lustful relationships, sexual immorality, eating too much or not eating, starving, vanity. These are really cute shoes, aren't they? Caring more about the external rather than the internal, social media, social media, social media, gossiping, gambling, excessive shopping, the list can go on and on. And I wrestled, I wrestled. And so the Lord took it away from me. (laughs) Powerful demands of the weak mind, agendas, selfish motives, distractive and disturbing scenarios, defensive postures, because my mind would run rampant over things, paranoia, self-loathing or self-promoting, social media, social media, people-pleasing, the list can go on and on. And I wrestled and I wrestled. And I had to die to myself. And I did die. The old me, the old self, the old Callie, insert your name. I had to die at the cross, just like Jesus did. And my new spirit severed all connections I had with my old nature. There ought to be evidence in someone's life that you are living for Christ. You can't keep doing the same thing and say that you are a Christ follower. I wanna be clear when I say this too. This isn't about behavior modification. I'm not here to shame you. That's between you and the Lord. But I had to discipline myself. I had to do uh, the real internal work. I had to discipline my heart for the external work to happen. Pastor Josh used the term the other day that I really enjoyed. He said, heart work. We must do the heart work so that we can do the hard work. The heart and the logic need to come into an alignment. Otherwise, you're going to be at war with yourself every time you turn around. And Paul explains this so well in the book of Romans in chapter 7. He says this. This is the message version. It's easier to understand. It says, it happens so regular that it's predictable. The moment that I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in on that delight. Parts of me rebel. And just when I least expect it, it takes charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one that can do anything for me? And that is the real question. Yes, there is. The answer is Jesus Christ. By faith, we are a part of a new creation in Christ, which means that death no longer has power over us, nor does sin, Satan, or the law. But pay attention to this part, because this is very important. While we live in this fallen fleshly body, our sinful nature will lust against your new life in Christ. It'll make you mad. But sin no longer dictates, nor does futile attempts uphold anything against Christ will ever stand. I'm gonna say that again. Your new uh, life, your sinful nature will be at war. 
Your sinful nature will lust against your new life in Christ. It will make you crazy, but sin no longer dictates or any attempt will ever uphold or stand against Christ. It never will because Christ has set you free, praise the Lord. God loves me and loves you so much in spite of ourselves. He gave us the greatest gift, Jesus and habitual grace. It's for the reason that you and I can say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh is by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We identify with the resurrected and the eternal life, not the former. And one day you and I will exchange our perishable bodies for an imperishable one to spend the rest of our eternal life with Christ. There's a quote from a Dallas Willard and he says this, the gospel is presented today with very little connection to the complete surrender of our lives to God. This leads to the real possibility that we will miss the central necessity of dying to self. I hope that my presentation or my speaking is that this is the gospel, die to yourself and live for Christ. The centrality isn't so much about the flesh. I mean, it is, you must die to yourself. But the second part is you live in faith because of Christ Jesus. And most believers think that by being obedient in faith, that dark clouds will roll away and the blue skies will return and your problems and your pain and suffering will disappear and happiness returns. And sometimes that's the case, but that's not always true. But here's the question, is God still good? Yes, absolutely, God is still good because here's the concrete truth. Being in the center of God's will is far better than being outside of his will on any blue sky day. The secret to a faith-filled life doesn't lie in the absence of pain or demanding your way, but in dying to self and embracing the full faith in Christ, surrendering to the will of God is a choice that you would have to make. So choose life. You know how you do that? You die to yourself every single day. You might've said yes to Jesus years ago, or you maybe said never. You've never said yes to Jesus. Yet today is the day that you must recognize that you must have him in your life and you must die to yourself and live for him. And how do we do that? We flesh out our faith. We acknowledge that our, our flesh, our minds and our actions, that they can be a powerful yet weak tool. Case in point, Peter, he was the rock of our church. At one point he resisted resisted. Peter was Jesus's ride or die guy. He walked on water. He watched Jesus walk on water. He saw the greatness and the power in living color, but even he resisted living out in faith. And Jesus would remind him over and over, you are alive in me. I can do all through you. So how do we do it? How do we submit to his gentle leading and his gracious guidance? I have three action steps for you. And of course, there's many more inside your bulletin. The first one is we have to become aware of our emotions. The kids always say, stay woke. 
That's biblical. Stay alert. Our emotions and our thoughts can be dangerous and can lead us down a destructive path. That is why we must be aware of them, acknowledge them, and filter them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others had faced, which means you're not alone. Others have gone through this. All you need to remember is that God is for you. He will never let you down. The second is we pray. Ephesians 6, 18, we pray hard and we pray long. Sometimes you don't even need words. God knows the inner heart. He knows the desires of your heart. Just call on him. And third, we act in faith. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 5 through 9, it says, God himself has prepared us for this. What is this? This life. And he has guaranteed us this amazing gift, the Holy Spirit. I know that there's many people uh, sitting in here today and you're watching online and you've heard this before. You've heard everything I've said before, but you need a reminder. And this is the reminder. There's no works on this earth that will gain a life in Christ. There's nothing that you can do that will establish eternity in heaven with him, except dying to yourself and surrendering your will over to him. Amen? Will you surrender unto his grace today? Because whoever says that is free. Who the son sets free is free indeed. So on your communication card, there's some reflective moments. There's three of them. And I would love to hear from, from you this week. The first one is, I will invite Jesus to help me process my emotions and my thoughts. Today, I will choose to posture in a stance of surrendering. The second one is, I will choose to die to self and to live completely for Jesus. This week, I will learn to let some things go that I've been wrestling with. And the third is, I'm choosing to pray earnestly, to trust in Jesus, and to act in faith. I would love to hear from you this week. I'll be in contact with you if I see that on your card. Lastly, there's nothing, 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 nothing is too big that you cannot give up for Jesus. The fact of the matter is, is that you can have all the faith in the heavens above that God will do the work and he can and he will, but you need to meet him and do the work too. Will you surrender to him today? Will you stand with me I'm gonna finish out in a sweet hymn. If you know the words, sing it gleefully. If you do not, allow this to be a prayer for you today. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. 
I surrender all. Isn't God good? He's good all the time. Let me pray for you. Father God, we just thank you for today. Lord, there are many hearts, uh, not just in this room, but online and perhaps over the world that are just surrendering their will to you. Lord, we thank you for your gracious grace. You're never shaking your finger over us. You just welcome us into your kingdom family. And we thank you for that. Lord, we, we are praying especially for someone today that has not made that commitment. Will you speak to them in a supernatural way, whether it's through your spirit or, th or through someone else um, here on this earth? Will you just allow them to uh, surrender their will to you today? Lord, we thank you for this service. Uh, you brought us here safely. We ask that you return us home safely to our friends and our family. And we are trusting and believing that you are with us always. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you've done, what you're currently doing and what you will do in our life. Amen.